Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Michael Footer. And I'm Amanda Farrow. On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is episode 143. Microsoft and Sony stumble on subscriptions. You just, like, you had to do the physical comedy that went along with that. I'm sorry you all couldn't see the physical comedy. One really day cool. we will have, like, an actual recording studio again. Yep. We keep saying this. Well, One day. The plans are the plans are moving slowly, but it's in process. Every, uh, everything's in process. Also, our intro changed. It is. And it I, threw I me want, off. I did want to acknowledge that. Obviously, we've had the same intro, gosh, I think since, since the very first episode. Um, we've pivoted, obviously, a lot in the last couple of years. Two and a half years since we've been doing this show. Oh my god, has it been two and a half years? This Holy is, smokes! This is episode number one forty three, but we've had like we are technically over one hundred and fifty episodes at this point. We have more than one hundred and fifty episodes in the can, um, and like we'll get to numbered number one fifty, I guess, not before the end of the year, probably. So at the beginning of the new year, but like things have changed for us, and you know we are not full time journalists anymore. We're not journalists. I guess we no. do. We do journalism, but we are not. We don't consider ourselves journalists. We're analysts. We're analysts, and it's important because you know we used to talk about and have for since the show started about bringing you an bringing you analysis from industry pros. Surprise! I guess we're industry pros, <laughs> and we're the ones doing the analysis. We so we didn't know. We didn't know when we started. Yeah, we have, we've emer- we're emerging from our cocoons and becoming beautiful butterflies. Um, more on that maybe soon. Uh, so yes, we are, this is a, an earnings heavy episode. We're going to be covering earnings in the top of the show. We will take a break before investment interlude, uh, which is a little bit of a change because of, uh, because of the structure and having so many earnings to do, uh, try as we might, uh, we ended up with a, with an earnings heavy episode that we'll move through as quickly as possible. But Manda's going to kick us off with Microsoft and then I'll move into Sony. Uh, and we're going to address that, that episode title, this stumble on subscriptions right up front. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about Q1 for fiscal 2023 for Microsoft. As always, for these larger companies, we do tend to give a broader overview of what's going on in the company and not just in gaming. So for Microsoft, their revenue was at $50.1 billion, an increase of about 11%. Operating income was $21.5 billion, increased 6%. Net income was $17.6 billion and decreased 14%. Interesting. So from my understanding of this, the vast majority of growth has been driven by Microsoft's cloud services and partly it partly offsets some of these decreases. Everything's going to continue to be very marginal in terms of their year over year increases and decreases. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't envision that things are going to shift too much for Microsoft. They are pretty ingrained into business. So Yeah. That's what's going on at Microsoft overall. Let's get into gaming in particular. Xbox content and services revenue decreased 3%. Three, like year over year. Okay, and what was the source of that, did they say? So what they said in the report is that this is driven by declines in both first party and third party content with lower engagement hours and higher monetization. This is partially offset by growth in Xbox Game Pass. However... We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I, I think the important thing to note here, and we're going to be talking about 
Phil Spencer's talk with the Wall Street Journal. Yes. And one of the things that's kind of come out of the conversation over the past week is Spencer acknowledging it has been a softer period. I would say since the launch of the Xbox Series console, a very soft period for first-party titles. It's not that there's been nothing. Halo Infinite, because of the way it launched, you know, didn't really land as as powerfully as it could have. Um, you and I still have not played the campaign because we're waiting until co-op is like fully baked. Yeah, we we play we play Halo games co-op. Yep, uh, and Forza Horizon Five. Obviously doing extremely well, Beautiful. but there are a lot of games being baked right now. Again, we'll talk about that in a little bit about, about some other pieces, some other mm-hmm. stories that kind of intersect with that, but it's not been, it's, it's not been a steady drumbeat of first party releases. And I, I would no. say that Sony has, has had more first party releases. I mean, they've had Horizon, that but they the also God of have War is coming next week. And I, but I think that the big difference in between Microsoft and Sony has always been Sony has those internal studios and have Mm -hmm. had those partnerships for a long, long time. And because Microsoft's gaming business has shifted so significantly over the last six years, specifically over the last four years, Mm -hmm. we're going to continue to see how things evolve and change with first party. They, from what I understand, you know, when they purchased Compulsion and they 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 went in with a lot of these other studios that they brought in. Ninja Theory. We're still waiting on... Uh, on Senua. On Senua's, the sequel to uh, Senua's Sacrifice is the first one. Yes. Um. So we're, we're waiting on the new Senua game. We are also waiting to see what Compulsion is doing. We are looking for new Fable. We are looking for a lot of games mm. that are currently being developed but we haven't seen anything new in quite some time like obsidian delivered grounded 1.0 after an extended early access period pentiment from obsidian comes out uh next month this i am i am very excited about pentiment i have Mm -hmm. no idea what it is i don't care put it in my veins it looks weird uh obviously double fine uh released psychonauts 2 we're still Mm -hmm. waiting on wasteland 3 came out but i think that was prior to series i think so yeah so i mean we you know in exile is where so there are a lot of studios that have been acquired there's a lot of projects in development we know that playground is working on the new fable Mm -hmm. we know that uh perfect dark is in development there was that um gun running game Mm -hmm. or the smuggling game whatever that was that showed up in kind of a teaser trailer and we haven't heard from again there's a lot of stuff in development right now but but covid in particular as we've talked about over and over on this show has really put its thumb on uh you know and compressed what people are able to do for obvious reasons. Yeah, working under quarantine was absolute hell, mm-hmm. especially when it came to games. So um, the other portion of this in in the revenue decrease, um, something to keep in mind, it's the revenue was still ahead of expectations, but it is driven by better than expected console sales, according to Amy Hood. And that's an important note because as we've talked about over and over again, is supply driving adoption yeah in this case demand is there demand is still there but supply is still struggling to catch up well and i think that now that that um crypto doesn't have quite the stranglehold on gpus Mm -hmm. and chipsets we're going to be seeing that lighten a little more as time goes on gaming revenue grew slightly so about four percent xbox hardware revenue was up 13 percent and here's a couple of little tidbits that were from uh from the earnings call. So this is from Satya Nadella. PC Game Pass subscriptions increased 159% year over year. And with cloud gaming, we're transforming how games are distributed, played, and viewed. 
More than 20 million people have used the service to stream games to date. That's great. And this one's from Amy. And in gaming, we expect revenue to decline in the low to mid-teens against a strong prior year. Comparable that uh, included several first-party title launches, partly offset by growth in Xbox Game Pass subscribers. We expect Xbox content and services revenue to decline in the low to mid-teens. Again, looking at Halo and Forza being big drivers of that first-party content. Absolutely. And so far, we're not, we don't got a whole lot going on with first-party as we discussed. So I want to jump into what happened with Phil Spencer's conversation with the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. So the first on the chopping block that we got to talk about, because this has been the giant elephant in the room, thanks to the CMA out in the UK, Call of Duty. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's not that Phil's been cagey about this. Um, It's that, uh, you know, there, there hasn't been very clear and succinct language. Yeah. He was succinct. And okay. he was very clear. This was like a six minute interview, right? It wasn't very long. Six, seven minutes? It was about, yeah, it was, that, that's what the clip was anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah, it Got was it. a longer conversation because it was like a fireside chat. Got it. But Tom okay. Warren was generous enough to give us a little commentary and a little flavor yeah. around it. So if you want more on that, Tom's over at The Verge. Yep, and we uh, included the video that Tom posted on his YouTube channel. Yeah, absolutely. In the show notes. Yeah. So Call of Duty will be available on PlayStation for as long as PlayStation is around. It was very clear that Phil wants to see Call of Duty on every imaginable platform, including the Switch. And he said that because he sees Call of Duty like Minecraft, which means that it's necessary for Call of Duty as well as Minecraft to be on as Mm -hmm. many interactive devices as possible. Yeah. And of course, when we talk about Call of Duty... You know, obviously our, our mind immediately goes to PC and console, but Call of Duty Mobile is a big deal. And mobile is such an important piece of what Microsoft is looking for out of the Activision Blizzard acquisition. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So another thing that Phil talked about was some price increases. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want anyone to be like, oh, no, you know, everything's going to go up in price. I mean, we've alluded to this before. Uh, But Phil was like, listen, at some point, we're going to have to raise some prices on certain things. He didn't say what, but he was very clear that they've kept their software relatively stable. They've kept Game Pass prices relatively stable, um, but that they're going to have to raise prices about some things. They are going to be maintaining prices during the holiday season to ensure that Gaming remains attractive. And he acknowledged there's a lot of uncertainty for consumers right now because of everything that's going on in the global marketplace. I think there are market pressures on all three of the pillars here. Um, I don't see Microsoft raising prices on consoles, especially as it's waging the battle in the UK mm-hmm. and keeping things accessible. I think raising the prices is an ex- is an important counterpoint to what Sony did as Microsoft is looking to establish its position as number three in the market. And the fact that the their argument is that it's good for consumers because it gives consumers more choice. It gives consumers access to games more affordably, for instance, bringing games to Game Pass. Exactly. And I think it's really important to note once again, and we have been banging this drum now for two years, there are major philosophical differences between how Sony and Microsoft handle their businesses. Microsoft sees gaming as for everybody. Mm-hmm. They are looking to remove as many pillars, as many, sorry, as many barriers to entry to gaming as they can. And we're going to get into that in just a second. Just real quickly, I want to run through the other two. Software, of course, there's market pressures to make the standard 
uh, price of a game $70 instead of $60. It'll be interesting to see how Microsoft responds to that. I think Microsoft will eventually get there. I think we are seeing that trend move slowly. I it's don't, slow. I don't love that trend, but it also... Because it's doing, anti-consumer. It is anti-consumer, but on the flip side, Microsoft can make the argument, but we have Game Pass, so we still have an affordable option. The other piece of this, obviously, is Game Pass itself, which we have talked about over and over and over again when you and I have discussed Game Pass, which is they are in user acquisition mode and are starting to pivot away from user acquisition to that maintenance user retention mode. Yeah. And as they do that, yes, I expect that we're going to see prices on Game Pass go up. Yeah. Because we're now, we're now at a point where mm-hmm. attrition is going to become a real threat mm-hmm. for, uh, for Game Pass in the future. So let's actually jump right into Game Pass because Game Pass performance did miss growth targets as per earnings. So the target was under 73% for the fiscal year ending in June of 2022. The actual, the actual for Mm -hmm. that was 28%. I want to take a beat and talk about this target because this was the target that has been cited as the threshold for CEOs receiving part of their bonus pay. When you're setting executive bonuses... What you're typically doing is you're looking for reasonable stretches. You're looking for things that that force your executives to push and push hard, but that are still attainable so that the bonus is something they could get, but it's not a gimme. In fact, when you talk about organizations that have been critical of executive compensation, typically what they've looked at is, did you make your bonus metrics, your KPIs, a gimme so that it's they're guaranteed to get it? So in this case... Is it bad that they that they didn't hit the 73%? No. no. I mean, these goals are intended to be difficult to, to reach. Attainable, but difficult. In professional development, we call these BHAGs. BHAGs. Big, hairy, audacious goals. That's the one. I did, yeah, because yeah, I've done a lot of personal and professional development in but, my life. But the actual being 20%, that's a 50% or so gap, or 45% or so gap that we're looking at between that CEO bonus target and reality. And that's why when we talked about the title here, about that stumble, where things are coming in lower than than anybody would have anticipated. I mean, if they had hit 60%, it would have been, okay, they missed it by a little, but not that much. If it had been 50% still. But when you're talking about missing by 48%, that's still great growth. Double-digit growth, Double 28%. Double-digit growth is enormous. It is. And one of the things that we are highly critical of on this show and honestly off of this show is that shareholders will push and push and push to get those growth numbers above whatever threshold they deem is necessary. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we are heading into a global recession and these numbers are about to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Entertainment is pandemic proof, but it is not recession proof. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what what Phil Spencer had to say about Game Pass overall. So Game Pass makes up about 15% of overall content and service revenue. So that's like where gaming lives. That's a good amount. That's a good amount. But he did say very explicitly that he does not see that part of the pie growing. He sees the pie growing but not the piece that belongs specifically to Xbox Game Pass. I think this is a a shift in corporate messaging around Game Pass. I agree. Maybe not Phil specifically, but generally I think what there there was some anticipation among, around Game Pass that it was going to become a a majority or a sign, at least a very significant piece of and 15% isn't insignificant, but I'm thinking 40-50% when you talk about significant when it comes to Game Pass. There is a couple things in here that I that I take away. One is 
Game Pass continues to be important. 15%, that's huge. It's that's enormous. still really important. And yeah. it's still it's still setting the tone for what a subscription program should look like. But I wonder what spend how spend changes around Game Pass and getting games on day one, exclusive, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm wondering how that changes. It's we'll still extremely have to, we'll have to see because it's still like game as we have talked about, Game Pass is that force multiplier. Mm-hmm. If you have a good game, it'll it'll help your game be boosted on all platforms if it's good on Game Pass. Again, 2023 may change the complexion of this because as we move through those delays that hit 2022 and everything is loaded into 2023, on the first party side, we know Redfall's coming, right? Mm-hmm. We know that um, we still have Pentiment coming this month. We have... Yeah, um, Pentiment. So Redfall's coming at some point next year. We've got Pentiment. We've got... Um, uh, we've got other games that we know that so who knows when Perfect Dark is going to come and Fable and those other games that it we know that have been announced exactly and games are going to be done when they're done right absolutely um, but the next note I find really interesting and I want to and I do want to talk about that for a hot second yeah um, so the little quote about I don't think it gets bigger than that yeah yeah that's a direct quote from what Phil was saying in the video was. I don't think it gets any bigger than 15%. That's, again, we're talking about setting expectations around this important piece expectations, of the revenue pie. Expectations are everything. And he was very clear. I don't see this piece growing, but I see the pie growing. Mm-hmm. And 15% of a bigger pie is still significant. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about PC Game Pass because I think there is room for growth here. And I think I have, I have thoughts. Okay. So as Satya said in the earnings call, PC Game Pass subscriptions specifically increased 159% year over year. Mm-hmm. So I think that where, where Phil is looking to target is going to be more on PC because that's of huge value. If yeah. they're seeing that growth, 159% year over year, that is a big increase. If they're seeing that, then why would you not want to spend that time and spend that money on PC specifically? Here is my feeling about PC Game Pass. I love having it. I really enjoy being able to play games on day one on PC Game Pass. My issue is, and I'll use an example. I was playing Iodin Chronicles Rising. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a game I played on Xbox. I played on my computer. Sure. Um, I wanted to play on Steam Deck. Right. And because... I can either use the Xbox cloud gaming integration uh-huh. and stream it to the Steam Deck, yes. which works okay in our house. But if I want to play it natively on Steam Deck, I have to start over because there's no easy way to port my saves. And there are tools out there, like I grab the tool from GitHub that's intended to do it, and it works for some games. Mm-hmm. But I am reluctant to spend money on Microsoft's PC Xbox store because of, I mean, Steam Deck is a, is a motivator for me. Um, obviously things have improved. You can now access the folder <laughs> that has games in it, but I don't love the experience, uh, as a paying customer. I'm glad to play games that I have because of PC game pass, but I'm not motivated to spend money on games there that aren't first party. Like I, I bought the upgrades for Forza Horizon cause we knew we were going to play it there. Right. Shockingly. Um, I've played a lot of Forza, yeah. but if I have a choice and I, it's time for me to purchase a game. I'm probably not going to buy it on the on the PC Xbox store. Not right now. If they standardize saves 
so that I can yeah. easily move my saves over and have that choice. I feel locked in and I don't like feeling locked in. It's been tough. I think one of the biggest issues we had is when we started the ascent, right? Uh-huh. And we're trying to, you know, we're, we're trying to figure that out, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh... That's some interesting stuff going on with PC Game Pass. Another thing that was flagged in the conversation is that, you know, Phil is, is looking towards building an Xbox mobile game store. Mm -hmm. Now, that is in a far-flung future. Mm -hmm. And mostly that kind of conversation is meant to put pressure on the on the two monopoly yeah, holders, they the an duopoly. Amicus, they filed an amicus brief in the Epic Apple thing on, uh, on behalf of Epic, didn't yeah, they? I believe so. Okay. Um, I think it's interesting. And again, we go come back to Activision Blizzard where Call of Duty and Candy Crush and uh, some other uh, Diablo Immortal. I don't know what that's looking like now in terms of revenue, but there are, there's a mo there's a mobile presence there from ABK that gives Microsoft that foothold. Sure. There, there's definitely that. And I think that the other portion of this is being able to have Xbox games on mobile just mm -hmm. in general yep. through cloud gaming. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, his comment on the metaverse was so funny. It is. I had it's to hilarious. put it in here. I'm glad you did. Um, so Phil was asked about the metaverse and Phil's like, um, it's a poorly built video game. Yeah. And that was it. And, 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 and it's, I, I'm not a huge proponent of the metaverse is the way it's emerged now. I think the closest, I think, I think the closest, uh, to that and they're not very close at all are Fortnite and Minecraft as the potential for what a meta what metaverse could be mm -hmm. um i think the the meta facebook vision of it where everybody's got an ocular a rift or a quest attached to their head and that's the way they access it, and they're walking down the, sh the the aisles at walmart and picking stuff off the shelves that sucks nobody yeah. wants that that's why yeah, we all do online sh online shopping it's not even about getting in the car it's about just being able to search an item have it pop up and being and able then to purchase you're done it. yeah it's supposed to be quick yeah you get in, you get out, you move on with your life. If you're if you're adding friction with the next version of the internet, then you're then you don't understand why people no. Use and like the if internet. I want to if I want to go actually browsing and shopping, I actually do enjoy the experience of getting in my car and going out. But not to sad something. Walmart that's ten minutes from our house. That is the saddest Walmart, folks. It is a thief of joy. It is so sad. I try not to go there. I go there like once a year. It is just horrifying. Thief of joy. Thief of Joy. So anyway, the Metaverse is a poorly built video game, according to Phil Spencer. And I'm not going to lie to you, I had a good giggle at that That's one. That's a good one. Because it's correct. So another thing that he touched on was like the streaming console. The Project Keystone. Project Keystone. Together. That's right. Project Keystone is years away. Yeah. It, it's a number of years away. And the one thing I wanted to flag about this was that this is Microsoft continuing to walk the talk because Phil was very clear they want gaming to be as frictionless as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. You plug the little console into your into your television, it boots up, you start playing games immediately. Yeah. That's that's the future that he wants for gaming. Gaming for everyone. This has been what, 6 years of walking that talk at this point. Mm -hmm. And that's huge. That's huge and that's a level of consistency that we don't tend to see out of anyone else in the big 3. Cool. So, cool. speaking of the big three, the big three. Here comes Sony. Nintendo will probably be next. Our next show. Yeah, but I would Sony, um, doing a little bit of juxtaposition here. Again, this is um, we're going to cover the company. This this is for uh, second quarter fiscal twenty three. 
Sales were up for Sony as the whole on, on the whole by 16% to 2.75 trillion yen or $18.5 billion. Operating income was up 8% to 344 billion yen or $2.3 billion. Uh, net income was up 24% to 264 billion yen or $1.78 billion. So Sony as the larger company up significantly. Mm -hmm. um, for games and network services, sales were up 12% to 720.7 billion yen or $4.85 billion. However, the segment's sales increase of 75.3 billion yen was aided by foreign exchange tailwinds oh. of 93.9 billion yen. Now, just to do some quick math on this, 93.9 billion yen of FX is higher than the increase of 75.3 billion yen total, which means that if you normalized for currency, it seems like their sales would have actually gone down. Right. Year over year. Uh, so uh, Sony attributes this to decreased sales of third-party games and add-on content. I'm curious what how, how first party is doing. Now, it could be PC because obviously along the way they've released Spider-Man and they released Uncharted and then they just released Sackboy. But I have my understanding is Sackboy is a fairly soft PC launch. Not for the right market. I, I think that Sackboy is not the greatest fit for the PC market. You not that it's it, a bad game. Not that there aren't people who will play it. But in, if you, you know what it would have been good for? Switch. Switch. Absolutely. It would have been perfect for Switch. Yep. But it depends. If it works well on Steam Deck, you know. Yeah. But, like, how many parents are going to let their kids use their Steam Deck? Uh, yeah, exactly. So, operating income was down 49% to 42.1 billion yen or $283.4 million. Now, Mike, I hear you saying, Mike, if sales were up, why is operating income down so much? Well, increased software development costs. They recorded the expenses related to the $3.6 billion U.S. Uh, purchase price of Bungie. But because, even though they're seeing FX tailwinds on the revenue side, on the operating income side, they have a lot of U.S. dollar-dominated costs. So all of the U.S. studios and all of those R&D costs are in U.S. dollars. So that means that in yen, they're seeing FX headwinds on the operating income side. Uh, so you got expenses that are effectively in U.S. dollars and revenue that's largely in other currencies, so in euros or yen um, sure. or uh, pounds. So it, it's very interesting to see this juxtaposition due to what's going on in the global economy. Um, they also, of course, again, say lower sales of third-party games and add-on content. Uh, but Sony says it has improved the losses on hardware since oh, the launch of PlayStation 5. That's great. Considering it's only been two years, that's not mm -hmm. something they normally do two years out. Additionally, um, going back to Microsoft real quickly, I did see a headline and I read the story. There was uh, apparently Microsoft is losing about $200 on every Xbox, which is a heavy loss leader. That but again, it's about getting people leader. into the ecosystem for things like Game Pass. So very, very interesting. Uh, to see what's going on there. So, lifetime shipments of the PlayStation 5 have reached 25 million, with 3.3 million selling through during the quarter. That's trailing behind PS4 now a bit. Again, this is a supply-related issue, not a demand-related yeah. issue. Uh, Sony has sold 5.7 million PS5s this fiscal year against its target of 18 million, although we are headed into the holiday quarter. We'll see. Supply is improving. Yeah. So we'll see what happens here. I don't think this is out of the question. I think this is going to be difficult for them. It's a BHAG. It is a BHAG. Um, interestingly, Sony has lost 2 million PlayStation Plus subscribers year over year and 1 million since rolling out the new PlayStation Plus. Oh, hi. Plus. I was one of them. 
Yeah, so let's talk about that real quickly. Um, part like of it you is you needed to have a friggin' PhD to understand how to use PlayStation Plus. Their their new PlayStation Plus is very difficult to understand. Additionally, they have failed to fulfill the promise of putting more PS One and PS Two games on the service. It is really really thin. Uh, so people at the top tier are like, what are what are we paying for? So they are they are not managing expectations well with regard to PlayStation Plus. Also, it is so confusing to remember what tier is what. Uh, it's just it's not great. And I really wish they had named them differently. I think I can understand the logic of let's all let's call it all PlayStation Plus, and we'll just have different tiers. It is they didn't test it's it. It's bad. They didn't test it. It's they didn't bad, test though. it with people to find they out. They didn't if it test was it with real world people. Yeah, they didn't mean? test it with human beings. Just <laughs> Jim, just Jim Ryan bots. Jim Ryan is is Ultron. You see, oh, no. and he has a lot of Ultron clones. Or he's Doctor Doom and he has Doom bots. Your choice, folks. I'm I'm fine with whichever you go with. Just let me know. Discord me. Uh, the prospect of that is genuinely terrifying. I know. I, I dislike this. I dislike. Know. I'd like to unsubscribe to this newsletter, please and thank yeah. you. It's a, it's a, we're, we're in a big Marvel kick here. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, one last thing. Uh, today, Sony announced that the PlayStation VR 2 will launch on February 22nd for... Hold on to your butts, folks. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, I've got it. Five hundred and fifty dollars. What? Yeah, clench up. Uh, more than the pr- that's more than the price of the more expensive PS Five console with a disc drive. That's and it's tethered. Like that's the thing. It's like this is not bananas. a wireless headset. That's this is bananas. this is a wired headset. Even if it is only one cable, it is still a wired headset. That's bananas. Uh, there's also a Horizon bundle for six hundred dollars and a and a controller charger that you can buy for fifty dollars. Um, reminder: this is not backwards compatible with any games in the PlayStation VR One library. So if they are going to make any changes, there they there may be free patches that come down the road. They have not talked about it, but chances I'm are I'm pressing if, X to doubt currently. Yeah, I think that they're going to resell them if there are any games that that get uh, ported over because it's going to be because Sony believes in generations. You see, um, a number of the titles, not all of them, but a handful of the twenty or so titles are ports from Quest Two. Um, so these are games that you can play elsewhere. Not all of them, again, like the Horizon uh, VR game, will only be playable on PSVR Two. Um, there is no word yet on whether or not, I don't think, on whether you can plug this headset into a PC and use it as, like, with Steam games. So oh. that's another, another thing, uh, that people are kind of waiting. I doubt that, though. Uh, yeah, me too. Um, according to NPD Executive Director and Video Game Industry Advisor Matt Piscatella, uh, PlayStation VR 1 never achieved double-digit adoption. We covered that we did. years ago. We did, and I'm I'm resurfacing it because I think it is an important point here. Remember, I think the I think the PlayStation VR one was sold for three hundred dollars. Now, obviously, the tech has changed and inflation has changed the calculus on that, and I don't know what that is adjusted for today dollars. Um, but if you look at five hundred fifty dollars when you are in heading towards a global recession, when you are in a period of heavy inflation, when you're looking at that's this, artificial, by the way. Um, yeah, I, to me, I think that you're going to get the diehards, but this is not going to. This is not going to be the thing that spurs, you know, VR adoption. No. And I, I ultimately think this and between is. I think the I think meta, the fact that they're doing VR two is a mistake in in, in general, but between the MetaQuest Pro mm-hmm. and its fifteen hundred dollar price tag, yeah. With the PlayStation VR two with its five hundred and fifty dollar price tag, who's this for? Yeah. And that is the big question. And, and I hate when we have to ask that. We asked it about Stadia. We're asking it about PSVR 2. I don't know who this is for. Because it's um, not for us. And the other thing is, if you're looking at this in comparison to the Quest Pro, first of all, they're they're very different devices. And I saw I know Matt's, they're very different No, no, no. I'm not, talking to, I'm not talking about you. But th- th- this leads into the next point where Matt also said 
just because one device is more expensive and likely won't adopt doesn't mean a lower price device will adopt. Like no. this isn't this isn't necessarily like, oh, I wanted a Quest Pro, but I'm gonna get a PSVR too. No, people are just noping out. Like I've seen so many comments where like this is not like neither of these are gonna move the mark. No. The reason why the original Quest moved the mark is because it was affordable, accessible. Mm-hmm. And it was untethered, which and is still a big deal. Untethered. Um, one last note. This is only gonna be available at least for the pre-order period and a launch through Sony directly. That means that Best Buy is probably shrugging at it. Target's probably shrugging at it. But GameStop? Ooh, this is going to sting. That's going to hurt. Yep. So that's everything on Sony. That is everything on Sony. All right, Mike, take us through Capcom. And I'm just realizing I did exactly zero translations for any finances for Paradox. All right, then we'll take a little <laughs> break and we'll just do those real quick. Um, all right, Capcom earnings. This is for second quarter of fiscal year 2023, the fiscal year ending March 31st, 2023. Uh, down quarter for Capcom, but uh, things are going to pick up at the end of the year, so don't fret. Sales down 29.9% to 49.1 billion yen or $332.7 million. Operating income down 24.3% to 21.89 billion yen or $148.4 million. And net income was down 27.4% to 16.1 billion yen or $109.5 million. All right, so let's talk. The bulk of this is, of course, in the digital contents business, which is video games. Net sales were down almost 40% to 36.1 billion yen or $244.5 million. Operating income was down 27.8% to 21.8 billion yen or $148 million. Why? Huge, huge comp quarter last year. Resident Evil Village and Monster Hunter Rise were just running rampant uh, and driving things through the roof. So this is this is not alarming. You know, when you have really strong quarters like they did in Q2 of last year, yeah, unless you're going to repeat that in the next year, you're going to have a down quarter. Absolutely. Um, catalog sales, really strong. That is Capcom's secret sauce. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Their catalog sales, it's it's Capcom that does mm. this really well, and Ubisoft, even though we don't cover them, they both do catalog exceptionally well. Yep. So Monster Hunter World and DMC5 driving that. Unit sales were up for the first half of, the, of last year, or, or up versus first half of last year, hitting 21.3 million units in the first half of this year. Versus 19.8 million units last year. Again, that catalog sales number, like driving things. Monster Hunter Rise sales crossed 11 million. Sunbreak, the uh, big DLC expansion, is at 4.4 million. Series sales are now at 88 million units. Uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake is now past 10 million units, with the Resident Evil franchise now at a whopping 131 million units. Uh, and the Street Fighter series is at 49 million. That's going to jump next year with Street Fighter 6. Devil May Cry franchise is now past 27 million. Uh, just real quickly, arcade operations jumped about 30% to 7.3 billion yen or $49.7 million. Operating income was up a huge 845.1% to 677 million yen or $4.6 million. Why? Economic recovery uh, from the height of COVID. And then Japan has also lifted some emergency measures. So we've got tourism restarting in Japan again. We love to see it. Uh, likewise, amusement equipment sales are up 87.6% to 3 billion yen. You can see how small these other pillars are compared to they video games. They are tiny. Um, so that's up like 88% to 3 billion yen or $20.5 million. Operating income was up 343.4% to 1.7 billion yen or $11.7 million. New machine releases, Shin Onimusha 2 and Biohazard RE2. So again, that's new Pachinko Akachi slot machines. 
Um, and then other business, movie and TV licensing and esports sales are down 9.4% to 2.7 billion yen. That's $18 million. Operating income was down 8.2% to 1.3 billion yen or $8.5 million. Again, this is like tiny slices of the pie compared to that whopping 49.1 billion yen of uh, video game earnings. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, 7.3 billion yen of... Uh, no, I was right the first time. <laughs> 6.1 billion yen. I'll get there. I will get there. Don't you dare cut this. I'm Everybody cu- deserves me I'm stumbling. I'm not cutting any of this. You know me. We tend to do this like relatively unedited. Yeah. Uh, Resident Evil on Netflix brought in some licensing revenue, but RIP, that series is dead. And then character merch being a big thing. Uh, so again, despite things being down, we're looking at the back half of the year. They've actually raised the forecast for the full year. Oh. Um, hi, Ash. <laughs> Don't mind. Bang, 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 Don't bang. Don't mind the bang, and that's just Ash's tale. Yep. Uh, releases for the rest of the year include the Resident Evil Village uh, DLC, which brings the third third person mode, and the, the Rose DLC, which wraps up Ethan Winter's story, uh, and the Winter's family story. Uh, Reverse, which is the multiplayer online game uh, portion that comes with uh, Resident Evil Village, uh, the Resident Evil Four remake. I'm telling you, that is that is one of the most beloved entries in the series. I have a funny feeling that RE4 remake is going to do huge, huge, huge numbers. And then they open a, a real new- banger. Yeah, they're opening a new cafe on November 11th uh, as well. And then um, that's cool. There's a Monster Hunter World Iceborne patchy slot machine coming. That's and then of course, cool. I think Street Fighter Six is going to be in the next fiscal year, but that's going to be oh, it's going to be well. huge. That's going to print money. But, yeah. It's, it's really... So I'm not worried about Capcom's down quarter, especially with that strong comp and what they're expecting for the rest of the year. So that's the big... Those are the big takeaways there. You're up. Okay. Now that we've done the conversions real quick, and I didn't keep recording because I'm smarter than that, um, let's talk about Paradox earnings between January and September of 2022, in addition to Q3. So... Let's talk about Q3 first. Revenue is up 58% year over year to 458 million SEC or $41.9 million US as Paradox moves back to what it's best at, grand strategy and content for existing games. Operating profit is down marginally to 220.6 million SEC or $20.2 million dollars. The revenue is mostly attributable to Cities Skylines, Crusader Kings 3, Europa Universalis 4, Hearts of Iron 4, and Stellaris as per usual. Mm. New downloadable content for the following games was released during the quarter by Blood Alone for Hearts of Iron 4, Friends and Foes for Crusader Kings 3, Toxoids for Stellaris, Plazas and Promenades for City Skylines, and Lions of the North for Europa Universalis 4. So for the fir- for the first nine months of the year, revenue is up 32% to 1.392 billion SEC or $127.4 million. Operating profit for this period is up a whopping 303% to 642.7 million SEC or $58.8 million. So The reason why we're seeing that operating profit where it is, is because they had to do a significant amount of writing down titles that they were canceling. Mm. Now, in theory, Bloodlines is not something that they are canceling, but that is a big in theory. It's worth noting that Victoria 3 launched a week ago Mm -hmm. today. So that revenue is not going to be realized in earnings reports until next week. Until next week. Right. And James noted, because he was looking at uh, Steam's rankings, Call of Duty knocking 
Uh, so Modern Warfare 2 knocking Steam Deck off the top because it's been up there for like the entire year. Um, but Victoria 3, I believe, is at number five right now. So it's doing well. It is doing very, very well. I mean, it's grand strategy. Yeah. That's what Paradox does best. Yes. So Wester attributed the good quarter and the first nine months to a, quote, excellent string, a string of excellent DLC for our best-selling games. And another thing worth noting is that during this quarter, they introduced Paradox Arc, which, according to Wester, pardon me, publishes smaller and, for Paradox, more experimental game projects that complement the portfolio, but where the scope may be smaller, the game's audience is more niche, or its genre is outside of their core business. The first title, Across the Obelisk, was released in August, and the next title, Stardius, Stardius? Probably Stardius. Stardius. Um, was released for early access after the end of the quarter. Apparently, people are enjoying Across the Obelisk. Um, the goal is to publish several experimental games each year and hopefully find some that can develop and grow over time. So this is kind of the in-between mm -hmm. of what Eva was really looking to do and what Wester cares about. Mm -hmm. So if this is your first time listening to an earnings show, if you're unfamiliar with Paradox Interactive, the reason why I found it so interesting when I started covering Paradox is that former CEO um, Eva Lundgrud did some really interesting things with regards to building out Paradox's portfolio. Unfortunately, because of development issues, because of a number of different problems with regards to development costs and timelines and COVID, a lot of those games ended up either getting canceled, pushed back, or are in development hell. Yep. And since then... The former, now current CEO, Frederick Wester, took over and was like, listen, we have to go back to our core competencies. And I'm not, I don't disagree with that. But also, Paradox is boring again. Yeah. I mean, Chris uh, Zakowski in his newsletter a number of weeks ago, months ago now at this point, talked about genres and genres that do, that do typically well because you've got a loyal genre fan base where they'll try a lot of stuff. Uh, 4X games are one and Grand Strategy is another where yep. people are like they're hungry for content because those games are hard to get right and they're hard to develop. They are. So there's not a, a there's not a flood of them which is why I'll use our husband again as an example an XCOM alike comes out he's likely going to try it because he's still chasing after that feeling of playing XCOM that he did. Exactly. The new XCOM that 4X is released. And of course obviously everyone in the house is, is eager to get our hands on uh, Midnight Suns. Yes. We are, we are all very excited about Midnight yes. Suns. So anyway, that's what's going on with Paradox. Nothing earth shattering. If you hear like the jingling, the dogs are coming up and saying Hi, hello. They, they really, they're, they, they need extra love right now. Yes. So much love. So much love. So Rex is just hanging out. So yeah, Paradox is boring. Well, I mean, good for them. It's good to be boring. It is. It this is, is not a judgment. I mean, and this is, and we'll talk about them in a little bit, but EA is typically boring as well. And that's not a bad thing for investors because they're stable. Boring is stable. It's just it's just not a lot of fun for us to cover. Yeah, because we don't get to be like, look at this eight-fold growth. Like, yeah, like with Nintendo that one time. That one that time. That one time. Um, all right, let's talk about Remedy. Um, this is uh, the first nine months of Remedy's year. Again, so the euro and the dollar are at near parity, so I'm just going to be report reporting euros. Uh, and if you're a U.S. person, just assume I said dollars because it's the same deal. It's one-to-one -one pretty much right now. So for the quarter, revenue is up 6.8% to 7.9 million euros. Uh, EBITDA, so that's earning before interest, 
taxes, depreciation, and amortization was down, showing a loss of 2.4 million euros. It was at a positive 0.4 million euros last year at this time. Operating loss increased to 3 million euros from a loss of 0.2 million euros. And during this quarter, Remedy did decrease its outlook for 2022. Not really alarming, though. And we'll talk about that in a second. So for the first nine months of the year, revenue is up 20.2% to 30 million euros. EBITDA is now a loss of 0.9 million euros from a positive 3.6 million euros for the first nine of last year. Mm -hmm. Operating loss is at 2.7 million euros, down from a profit of 1.1 million euros. And the operating profit margin is now negative 9% compared to 4.3% last year during the first nine months. So that's just something to keep in mind. But the reason for this is there's a lot of R and D going on at Remedy right now. They are as there often is. Yeah, and and this is the thing when you're a re- when you're a smaller studio, and they are relatively small, but they're always really interesting. Look, Remedy's near and dear to my heart. I'm a huge fan of what they do. That's why they keep making it onto our earnings list. Uh, I am biased. So uh, obviously, Alan Wake Two is the studio's next release. That's coming next year. Um, a multiplayer control game is in development, and the next main game in the control series is in development as well. Um, third quarter revenue was due to income from Epic for development of Alan Wake 2. So, real quickly, uh, that's recognized as revenue. So, when you get money from a publisher, that's revenue for your for your studio. Yep. Um, you are going to pay that back through recoup, which just means you're not going to be making revenue off that game until you recoup or whatever the terms of your deal are. Yep. Um, but it's revenue that, that you're recognizing. Um uh, it was also, uh, there was development revenue associated with the Max Payne 1 and 2 remake that they're working on with Rockstar. Yep. Uh, and uh, Codename Condor and Alan Wake Remastered dev fees decreased, but the shadow, the Switch version of Alan Wake Remastered shadow dropped uh, very recently. So mm-hmm. those dev fees, I'm sure, were winding up. Uh, and there might not have been any major milestones for Codename Condor during the period, which is why... Um, in third quarter, which is why you might not have seen any revenue associated with that. So that's dev fees. Sure. Um, control decreased royalties. Again, that game is now aging, so it is not bringing in as much revenue. The price point is, is lower, etc. Uh, do love that game, though. Alan Wake Remastered and Crossfire have not generated royalties yet. Oh. Now, there may be a reason for that. Alan Wake Remastered was with Epic. Yes. And I'm wondering if there was a guaranteed minimum involved oh, in that so they may have already that is received kind of, that's probably that's epics that tends to be the way that epic handles things is guaranteed minimums right so it might not be classified as a royalty so they yeah so it'll okay, be it's I interesting understand. i understand so i'm not again i'm not alarmed by this uh at this point uh condor is in the proof of concept stage so that's pretty much prototype uh heron which is the control sequel is in the concept stage so that's pre-prototype I yeah imagine. so they're they're storyboarding they're mm-hmm. they're doing their blue sky yeah what do we want this to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, Vanguard, which is a free-to-play PvE co-op game that's going to be published by Tencent, is also in proof of concept, so they are prototyping that right now. Alan Wake Two, obviously, with it due next year, is in oh, full production. So I am due excited. for I am due for an Alan Wake replay and to finally play oh, American we, Nightmare. No, what we should do, mm-hmm. what we should do, mm-hmm. is we should sit down, and that should be the game we co-play. Oh, okay. I love that game. I love that game so. And also, too. I don't really want to play through the the lumberyard by myself again. That's fine. The lad is scary. As poops. That, <laughs> it's that, very scary. It's scary poops. Yeah, it was very scary. Okay. All right, so that's Remedy. That is Remedy. Uh, Sega's up next. Sega is... Uh, Sega's weird. Sega's always weird. Um, I'm actually a little bit alarmed by Sega. Okay, um, well, why don't you take me through Sega and then I'll take us through EA. Yeah, please do. 
so this is for the first half of fiscal 2023. Net sales are up 11.3% to 150 billion yen or $1 billion. Now remember, same deal as with uh, Sony. There's on the sales side, and I probably also on, on, the, um, on the operating income side, uh, we're looking at FX tailwinds. Mm-hmm. But operating income was down 34.8% to 9.6 billion yen or $64.4 million. And net profit was down 19.9% to 9.6 billion yen or $64.7 million. Sega does expect to finish better than last year on sales, operating income, and ordinary income, but down 20, nearly 25% from last year on net profit. It happens. Okay. It happens. Right? It happens. Um, one thing that stood out, though, in the narrative on the uh on the financial statements was that Sega is attributing its down quarter, especially with regard to the entertainment contents business, which is video games, amusement machines, animation, and toys on the return to normalcy after the height of COVID. But they don't seem to focus on their, on their lack of major titles, console supply issues and inflation. And I feel like either they're misreading trends or they're just not laying it out. I felt like this was weird. It very much feels like they are just burying their heads in the sand and it's like, no, 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 everything's fine. How are you? How are you? The weird, the the tough part for Sega is because so again, this is the largest part mm-hmm. of their uh, of their revenue. Just as we talk about over and over and over again with these companies that are multi tiered. Um, I, I look at this and just to give you an idea. Net sales for entertainment contents um, was is was one hundred and sixteen point six billion yen uh, versus uh, Patchy Slot and Pachinko Machines, which was twenty seven point five billion yen, and Resorts, which were. 5.6 billion yen, but but as we've talked about during the pandemic, the resort business obviously was was crushed. Um, I, I look at this and I'm like, if your entertainment content business, which is again largely driven by video games, is suffering, and that was what was buoying you when when your other businesses were in free fall during the pandemic, and now that's down, I start to look at this and go, you need to turn stuff around now. You need to make different and better strategic choices. And and they have been doing a little bit of this, um, but I feel like everybody needs to be looking at Capcom and how Capcom has approached its catalog. Gosh, and Capcom just gets the three catalog. R's, the three R's, baby. And look, Capcom still has. I didn't mention. Wait, this. wait, wait, wait. Mega wait. Man, Mega Man Battle Network collection is coming, and I am just like, mm, okay, what? no, but for real. For those that haven't listened to the show before, are we gonna talk about the three R's? Well, what are the three R's? Oh no, I'll tell you. The three R's are mm-hmm. remakes, uh-huh. remasters, uh-huh. and re-releases. Yes. Yeah. So, and all of those, all of those mean different things. If you want to talk, and this is the way we look at this, right? So, and let's use Capcom as an example. Uh, when they release, because Capcom is, as we said, masterful at the three R's. When we look at the Mega Man collection games, mm-hmm. right? Those are um, remasters. Yes. Those are remasters. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's remake, reboot, and re, 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 remake, remaster, and re-release, and re-release, right? Or re-releases, I guess those are. Yeah. Um. There are games that are full remakes. RE4 is a full remake. Right. Yeah. And then remasters take your core games and they and they do stuff to them. Exactly. Um, but they're not. Or they full will remakes. modernize. They'll modernize the control structure. Yep. They will. You know put better meshes and shaders and everything like that, but they're not going to redo rigs. They're not going to redo major gameplay components. It's just, we're just going to polish it up, make it look beautiful. And I think, and and we've talked about the last of us part one. (laughs) I I knew this is coming. I I feel like that was billed as a, as a remake. And I feel like it it exists probably closer to a remaster Um, with some elements of a remake, but 
I mean, that's neither here nor there. Right, but I'm just saying, like, those three R's drive a lot of the decision-making around catalog and around around IP. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, obviously, there's new new games and new IP on top of that. But when we're talking yeah. about existing catalog and how you approach that, Capcom has been masterful because of the way they've approached Resident Evil with the oh. remakes, the way they've approached their catalog, like the Mega Man games. Uh, and I and, mean, and, RE Engine is a, is a mm-hmm. great engine for those remasters and those remakes. Yeah. Uh, they absolutely, absolutely, and you know I think when we look at at things like Dragon's Dogma, which is a re-release on Switch, and now obviously Dragon's Dog Dogma Two is coming. So I, oh, I'm sorry, I just heard wow shouting all I the know. way from Ottawa. Um, but in the case of in the case of Sega, they have been really clever with the Yakuza franchise. Yes, they, they have, have been more clever with um, SMT and Persona mm-hmm. because now we have Persona Five that's that uh, has released very strongly on Switch. And on PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have P3P and P4G, uh, which is coming to more more platforms, which is great. Because there are lots of people that missed out on those games. I missed out on P3P. Oh, man, I can't wait for you to play it, though. Um, but I loved... Like, I bought the Vita just to play Persona 4 Golden. Mm-hmm. Uh, good choices were made. So unit sales were down uh, in the entertainment contents business by 27%. Releases this year included Soul Hackers 2, which is a new release. Mm-hmm. Two Point Campus, a new release. 13 Sentinels for Switch. Which was <gasps> I a, forgot! Which we have, by the way. Did I you... forgot that we had that. Yes. I, I Our Switch library, I have been, I've been hoarding. <laughs> no, we've been collecting. We've been collecting. I've been, I've been, because ca- I think I'm, I'm worried. I, I'm always worried about Nintendo consoles in general. Yeah. About having, so I want to make sure we, we have a good Switch library. Um, and because I love that console so much. So 13 Sentinels for Switch, Sonic Origins, and both Judgment games were re-released for PC. Last year had Sonic Colors Ultimate, Lost Judgment was released for the first time, the Judgment remaster for PS5 and Xbox Series, the Shin uh, Megami Tensei 3 remaster, Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis, which was kind of this re-release of Fantasy Star Online 2. Mm-hmm. Humankind was a new release. That was cool. SMT5 was a new release uh, on Switch. And then Total War Warhammer 3. Um, and catalog sales were at level with last year. So it was a tough comp. But, uh, again, I wish they had kind of noted that in their notes. Remember when I said lack of major titles? They didn't even talk about how strong the comp was last year. Um so, uh, so unit sales were down um, 29% the year before. Yeah, from the year before. So we had 27% drop from this year, from last year to this year. And we had 29% from two years ago to, to last year. Got it. Um, so Sega has been struggling along the way. Something's not going right there. The, the portfolio management is not where it should be, it seems. They have got really strong franchises. I don't think they're doing everything they could be with them. Uh, amusements and animation are typically much smaller than video games. So net sales were up 8.5%, despite fewer unit sales for games reaching 116.6 billion yen. That's for the entire entertainment contents division. That's $785 million. Operating income dropped 37.8% to 13.8 billion yen or $92.9 million. Uh, For the rest of this year, Sega expects Sonic Frontiers, P5R on new platforms, which wasn't in this quarter. Right. But... Obviously, that's now out on Xbox, PC, and Switch. Uh, Persona 3 Portable, Persona 4 Golden on Switch, Xbox, and PC for P3P. P4G is already there. Uh, Football Manager 2023, Like a Dragon Ishin, which is a re-release or a remaster. I'm not sure where it falls on that. Company of Heroes 3 and Endless Dungeon. Those are all the bottom half of the fiscal year. Those are going to lift performance. Um, I'm just going to just kind of skip through. Patchy Slot and Pachinko Machines. Net sales were up 20% for... 
for the amusement machines. Resort sales were up 47.4%. Um, losses shrinking on resorts, as we'd expect to see as tourism opens up. Um, Sega also published its annual report for last year. Uh, the Sonic franchise has now moved 1.51 billion units. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Fantasy Star Online and Fantasy Star Online 2 have about 9 million users. That's not a lot for no. an online service game. No, that is quite small. Yeah. Uh, the Shin Megami Tensei series has sold 19 million units. In addition to that, the Persona series, which is related to that, of course, has sold 15.5 million units. Total War franchise has sold 40.4 million units. And the Ryuga Gotoku, sorry. Ryuga Gotoku. Yaku, which is the Yakuza franchise, has sold 19.8 million units. And I have a funny feeling now that that has really caught on in the West, like Monster Hunter did, I think we're going to start seeing that really start to keep up and pick up very quickly. I agree. Um, Sega says that it is still working on its super game. Remember what we talked that? about this? Oh my gosh, I forgot about the super game. The super game? game? I don't super know what they game. mean. I don't know if they mean like something that is kind of... Like a an, killer app? I, I I kind of... If, if you had to... If, I, if someone held a gun to my head and said, Mike, what does Sega mean by a super game? Um, I would say that they are looking for something that is a live service game that is infinitely expandable and that engages people in a multitude of different ways so that there's a bunch of different ways. A Destiny would be a good example. Like Destiny 2 would be a good example of what they might be striving for. Honestly, I was thinking about it in terms of like Monster Hunter World. You know, like if we're thinking about something that's like infinitely expandable, that game mm -hmm. has so many expansions. True. True. And it was about as close as Capcom's ever gotten to, like... Well, World only had one major... It had Iceborne as the major expansion. Really? But it had a lot of free content updates. Right, yeah. That's and what then, I was thinking. And then Rise is the same way, where they had Sunbreak, which is the major expansion, but they've been a lot of doing a lot of free content updates. I don't know. I feel like when you when they say Super Game, it's something that they're going to be able to monetize there's no, in a there, lot of different ways. There's no way they have the chops or the resources to pull off something like, like Bungie does. Unless it's a Yakuza MMO. They don't they know. don't they don't necessarily have the expertise to pull something like that off. They, I mean, like Fantasy Star Online is nine million users. Yeah, like they clearly, that. it's not in their wheelhouse. Yeah. So I don't know what I don't know what a super game could be. Mm -hmm. I think infinitely expandable is an interesting perspective. I think that social connectivity is an, is really an important piece of this that creates those quote unquote super games mm -hmm. that stick. For a long time. Yeah, and I think about attempts to go in and say this is going to be a super game and it's going to have... But And I think of um, Defiance. Do you remember that? It was... Uh, no. Okay, so it was a sci-fi show that was connected to this online multiplayer oh, shooter. that's right. And it was, billed, right. it was billed as this whole, like, transmedia... But it wasn't really transmedia because where you were playing in the game wasn't St. Louis, which was where the show was set. And... Eh. I don't know. I, I'm curious about what they're what they're going for with this super game. Mm -hmm. I, I'll believe I'll believe that it is the killer app when I see it. Our dogs have come back to hello say dogs. hello. Hi, babies. Hi, baby. All right, last one, Amanda. EA. Last one, indeed. Let's talk about EA's Q2 for fiscal 2023. Sales were up 4.2% to 1.9 billion dollars, with full game sales dipping a bit and live service more than picking up the slack. Net bookings were up 4% for the trailing 12 to $7.381 billion. They were down for the quarter by 5%, however, to $1.75 billion. Both full game and live service net bookings were down. Mm. Net income was up just a hair, 1.7% to $299 million for the quarter. 
EA, in a show of strength, repurchased 2.6 million shares for $325 million. And for the trailing 12, EA has repurchased 10 million shares for a total of $1.295 billion. Now, EA's slate for the rest of the year includes uh, Need for Speed Unbound. I'm going to lose my mind when that, that game, game comes so out. Good. That game was clearly built for me mm -hmm. as an arcade racing fan. Ash, are you quite finished? Ash is just like, she just wants love right now. So we're just, okay, are you done? Are you done now? No, you're not done? Okay, well, I have to continue with this. Okay, that's nice. Why don't dear. you guys go play? Go play. Not in here. No, definitely not in here. No, go babies. I don't listen. Nope. Okay, so anyway, Need for Speed Unbound looks incredible. Um, Chell 2020, or sorry, sorry, Chell 23 is in the current quarter. And Dead Space PGA Tour Super Mega Baseball Wild Hearts. Wild Hearts is the um, the Omega Force monster game. It looks... It's, it's EA's answer to Monster Hunter. It looks very interesting. And a mysterious major IP in Q4. Now, Mike is speculating that that very well may be Jedi Fallen Survivor. Yeah. FIFA's, FIFA mm -hmm. 23, the last FIFA game that EA is ever going to make, much to um, FIFA's future chagrin because <laughs> FIFA is in trouble here, not EA. Um, it continues to break records. And you'll recall from our last show that the game had 10.3 million players in its launch week. That is incredible. That has kept up with the publisher sharing some key engagement stats. Sell-through is up 10% and Ultimate Team players are up 6%. That's huge from it's the revenue perspective. very big because the Ultimate Team is everything. Mm -hmm. FIFA 23 has been played in more than 200 countries. There have been 1.7 billion games played in the game's first 23 days. Players have clocked 15.7 billion minutes playing. That's like 30,000 years. Yep. 30,000 years. That's a lot of, that's a lot of time. All right. So from the business angle, there are two takeaways. First, the Ted Lasso content has been played in more than 1 million matches. I believe. Mike? Yeah. Do you believe? I, I believe. I smell potential. You smell potential? This is, it's, it's really, really cool. Cause I think this probably brought in a lot of players who were like, yeah, I, I, I kind of like FIFA, but it, I'm really interested. But this I this love is a Lasso. good on-ramp. This yeah. is a huge on-ramp for it's, them. It was br it's, it's brilliant. very, very mm. smart. It's a very smart partnership. And this is a strong final year for EA's FIFA branding, which means it's positioning itself well for the changeover to EA um, FC next year. Yep. So also from EA, the publisher has announced a deal with Marvel that will result in at least three action-adventure games, beginning with the previously announced Iron Man game, from Motive Studios. I talked a little bit about this over on uh, Engage Family Family Gaming's podcast last night. Mm -hmm. And every time that they're like, oh yeah, but it's going to be like, maybe it'll be like Anthem. And I'm like, don't talk about Anthem. Don't talk about it. It just breaks my heart. It does. Yeah. Every time that I hear about Anthem, I want to cry. Yeah. Because that game could have just, like I think about the potential in that game and it makes me want to cry. Yeah. But an Iron Man game from Motive Studios might be very interesting. I, I'm in. I... A lot of, you know, superhero games, and I'm a huge Marvel fan. I, they don't hit. They just don't hit. But I'm, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm hopeful. Every time I, I cross my fingers and hope. That's true. And Guardians of the Galaxy was, was fantastic. If you haven't played Guardians of the Galaxy yet from, from Eidos Montreal, like definitely, you'll give it a look. Definitely, definitely 
spend some time with it. It's it's good. It's snappy dialogue. You it definitely is. want to go there for Great the story. Great story. One of, one of the best video game stories I have ever played. That's impressive. Yeah, absolutely. That's impressive. But you know or, what? Or uh, comic book stories I've ever played. I, I knew exactly what you were thank talking you. about. I but thank that. you. Thank you for clarifying for, for our audience. You know what, though? We have been at this for an hour. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a break. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. Okay. All righty. And we are back, but it's not time for quick hits yet. Nope. Instead... We're going to go jump right into Investment Interlude. Yes. So the Swedish game industry has published its Game Developer Index for 2022. The number of game companies grew by 15% in 2021. Oh, darn. And this is really interesting. Like, we've had our eye on Sweden for for quite some time. You know, history's got its eye on you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Revenue has increased 22% to 2.7 billion euros domestically, with 43% growth globally to 5.8 billion euros. Wow. Yeah. The Swedish game industry saw 17% domestic employment growth to nearly 8,000 people, of which 77.7% are men and 22.1% are women. They need to improve that. Yes, they do. Uh, Internationally, Swedish game companies employ 11,158 people, representing 36% growth year over year. And I'm sure a lot of that is driven by Embracer acquisitions. I would imagine so. Uh, Largest companies include, of course, Embracer, King, uh, Moyang, Stillfront, G5 Entertainment, Paradox, Stunlock, which made V Rising, Mm -hmm. Raw Fury, Avalanche, Ubisoft Massive, Hazelight, and Fat Shark, which is about to uh, release Darktide. Oh, Dark Tide. Just right. want to go, I'd like, I just want to do the Scravens, but not, but like in space. I know. We, we shall. but in That's space. family game night right That's there. That's family game night. It really is. All right. So Netflix has announced plans to acquire its sixth internal studio. And it's Spry Fox. Yeah, this is, this is really cool. This is a great fit. You know what? I, I honestly have had a lot of trouble understanding their portfolio direction. Ash, do you have to? She does. She loves us so much. No, no, don't, don't like randomly eat stuff off the ground, dog. I think that's a sticker. It's probably a sticker. Don't stick, don't sticker your mouth. No, that's bad. Okay, so anyway, Spry Fox is a great fit for them because they're known for like very cozy, chill games like Alpha Bear and Cozy Grove, which is this creepy but lovely alternative to playing Animal Crossing. Um, And I love that in the wake of Animal Crossing New Horizons, we got so many really cool social simulation games Mm -hmm. like Cozy Grove. Oh, I just, I love it so much. So anyway, Cozy Grove is joining the uh, portfolio over at Netflix. In an announcement on the studio's website, co-founder David Ettery says that joining Netflix means the team will have more support for the games it already wants to make. They can also, quote, stop stressing about how our games generate profit. This is a big piece of the puzzle when it mm-hmm. comes to indie studios, like, being purchased. Absolutely. It's huge. That's how that's how you create stability for your team. You're not constantly pitching. You're not constantly having to worry about, like, where's the next, where is our revenue coming from? How do we make sure we keep the lights on? Mm-hmm. This is This is good for them. I'm very, I'm very excited. All existing games will remain available on their current platforms. 
And Cozy Grove 2 is in development, and the team is also working on a non-violent MMO. Very interesting. We love this. Yeah. It's wonderful. No terms were disclosed, but again, Netflix is facing an uphill battle, as much of its audience doesn't seem to be aware or engaged with the gaming content available via the mobile app. Point B. Point B, point B. August. August. Uh, last investment story. Frontier Developments, which is known for Elite Dangerous, Jurassic World Evolution, and its sequel, and Planet Zoo, has announced the acquisition of Winnipeg-based Complex Games. Who knew? I didn't even know there were any studios in Winnipeg. I. It's because of all the snow. You can't well, see. Mean, it's no, no. low visibility. No, no. It's not low visibility because the sky's going to fall on them because there, no <laughs> there are no trees and no mountains. Listen, when I when I got off the plane when I was in Winnipeg... The very first time that I visited, I was like, how do they survive out here? Everything's so open. Yeah. I'm from the mountains, okay? Uh, so, Complex, if you're not familiar with them, they most recently released the excellent Warhammer 40,000 Chaos Gate Demon Hunters. Demon Hunters. It's a tactical strategy game. Very it's published. Cool. It was published by Frontier, so they had an existing relationship. Mm -hmm. This is Frontier's first studio acquisition, and no terms were disclosed. I would be very interested to see what they do with this. Me too. Me too. I hope they make it's a good portfolio fit, I think, given think the so. management games that uh, that Frontier is known for. Of course, Elite Dangerous being its own thing. Uh, but if you look at Jurassic World and you look at Planet Zoo and Planet Coaster and all that stuff. Yeah. I so. think it's very cool. Hey Mando. Hey Mike. It's time for quick hits. I love how he did that. He like it's I thought he was gonna make me sing it there for a second and I had a I had a slight panic moment. Oh that's not how it worked out. What All right. Got, what do we got first? We have it's a very quick quick hit. Yeah, we have two quick hits, folks. That's it. I told you that, like the bottom half of the show, it's this is a very top heavy show because of the earnings. We're we're gonna let you go in probably probably twenty minutes, not even. Not even stay with us, stay with us. All right, Rock City co-founders Sefton Hill and Jamie Walker are leaving the studio in advance of the Suicide Squad killed the Justice League release next year. Director of production Nathan Burlow, a founding member of the studio, will become the studio's director. Production director Darius um, Sedagian. Sedagian, yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Will become studio product director. Hill and Walker say that they are leaving the studio they founded in 2004 to, quote, begin a new adventure in gaming. And of course, with everything going on at Warner Brothers right now, we have, we have our eyes. boding. It is. And, you know, this is coming off of the not so great release of uh, WB Montreal's uh, Gotham Knights. However, everyone says that the story is great. Yes. Yes. Uh, it did not review well. And except for the story. Except for the story. So that's a challenge. And of course, everything that's going on at Warner Brothers with David Zaslav at the top and all of oh my the gosh, content. Oh such a problem. And all of the like literally burning content to the ground. Of course, Batgirl's never going to get released. And it's like. That's geez, a travesty. It is a travesty. It's I a hope travesty. someone smuggles out footage and manages to release, release a bootleg. Uh, the last quick hit. Marvel Snap, which uh, three of us in the house are avidly playing. I'm very reluctant to introduce Gabriel to it. Uh, yeah, that's a different <laughs> story. Uh, it's reportedly brought in $2 million in its first week, according to App Magic. The Apple App Store was responsible for $1.3 million of that, with Android accounting for the rest. U.S. players dumped $1.2 million into the game, with the Philippines, Korea, Australia, and Japan rounding out the top five territories, and it was downloaded more than 5.3 million times in its first week. This game hits. It does, it and the monetization on-ramp is really smart. In fact, you get your first season pass for free, mm -hmm. uh, and you don't like get the option to purchase a season pass, which is either $10 or $15, $15 with the boost mm -hmm. to get like the first 10 levels or something like that, until you finish the recruit pass, which is, again, completely free. 
So very, very and I mean, cool. You can still do the other season pass and not pay any money for it. Because I haven't paid any money for the game yet. Oh, I, I definitely did the $15 because I want to... I, 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 what? Yeah? Yeah. And those were quick hits. Stop looking at me like that. <laughs> okay. Well, moving on. We have our labor report, which is thankfully fairly succinct this week. Normally, mm-hmm. our labor report is quite chunky. Yeah. So, Mike, what's the first story? Uh, Creative Assembly has issued a statement after allegations of abuse and sexual misconduct surfaced against a former employee. Uh, there were rumors as some employees stepped forward on Twitter to share their stories. Uh, the company says that it has opened a whistleblower email address for former employees to reach out if they experienced abuse. Obviously, people who are still there have HR pathways to report this as well. But remember, HR is not your friend. HR is not your friend. Ever. HR is there to protect the company. Not you. Yeah. Uh, the studio, which is owned by Sega, has engaged an external partner to investigate. Oh, man. This was so sad. Uh, this was actually... This story is maddening. Th- this story made me really angry. So... Bloomberg broke the news yesterday that Square Enix Montreal rebranded, that Square Enix Montreal, which had rebranded a scant three weeks ago as Studio Noma, has been shuttered. Now, let's talk for a second. Rebrands are not inexpensive. Rebrands are, in fact, exceptionally, um, they take a long time. They take a lot of resource. They take a lot of effort and a ton of time to plan. Because since they're no longer owned by Square Enix... They had to, they had to rebrand and they had to move quickly. And they did. And we talked about it in depth. I, you know, I loved, um, Nejima, uh, Bavari's take on it. And I mean, just for full disclosure, Nej and I worked together on Next Lavelle's with, um, with Ludia in Montreal and Gameloft Montreal mm-hmm. to, you know, showcase these incredible women that work in the game industry to show young women, that there are a number of career paths in video games and that they're, you know, we want more more women in games. So anyway, I worked with Nedge for the last couple of years and she's incredible. So this when it when when the news broke, it just broke my heart. Yeah. Um Squ- Square Enix Montreal was actually 10 years old. It turned 10 mm-hmm. this year. Hitman Go was their big game, but of course following that formula with Lara Croft Go and Deus, Deus Ex Go. I mean, those games did well. They also did the Hitman Sniper games. Yeah, for sure. Um, they, they were a a storied and very focused mobile game studio Mm -hmm. in Montreal. And in Montreal, you are victim to a lot of attrition because everybody poaches from everybody. It's very incestuous in in the Montreal game dev community. Not not, not in a dirty way, but it's just like people move through the circuit of, of everybody starts at Ubisoft. Everybody starts at Ubisoft and ends up somewhere else. So anyway, um, they were they were a very well rooted and established mobile game studio in a city that hates mobile games, hmm. and that it takes a lot of effort to retain talent to work on mobile games because they don't have in a lot of developers' eyes that mobile doesn't have the same prestige as console or PC development. Yeah. So Embracer Group, which purchased Square Enix Montreal along with Eidos Montreal and Crystal Dynamics two months ago, confirmed the move, which will affect about two hundred people. Some of them will be shifted to Eidos Montreal, which apparently has had its own struggles since the acquisition. According to Bloomberg, one of the studio's games, a project inspired by Stranger Things, has been canceled. Hmm. The team is also said to be partnering with Microsoft on some projects, including the new Fable game in development at Playground. 
Remember how I said I was really mad about this? This yeah. is horrible. This is not only so incredibly wasteful in terms of both time and resources, but the emotional fallout from that is just cruel. I I I don't want to lay blame, but I will say that Phil Rogers, who brokered this deal and ensured that he would be at the top of this new business unit for Embracer... This this does rest with him in terms of the buck has to stop somewhere, and it's with him and Lars Windforce, like the two of them, did not manage this properly. You do not let a studio of two hundred people go through the expensive and emotional rebranding is an emotional, emotional process. You do not let people go through this, and then three weeks later say, "By the way, we're closing your studio." This is bananas to me that this was that this happened is a failure of leadership and it stinks. And regardless of whether or not it was intentional cruelty, the outcome is cruelty. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm very angry about this. Um I had friends that worked there, like Nedge. Yeah. And I'm just I'm mad. So anyway, if you were affected, if you were at Studio Anoma and you have been affected by this, um, know that we're rooting for you. And I know that the Montreal game development scene will not let you down. So hopefully you all can go find gainful employment, you know, with the good yeah. folks. Behaviors in Montreal and they have Dead by Daylight Mobile. And I'm wondering if there's an, if, if they're looking at this as a potential opportunity to bring on some great people. Exactly. Ludia went through a ton <clears> of cuts <throat> earlier this year, so they're not a good fit. But Gameloft, y'all, if you want to keep working in mobile, Gameloft is doing some stuff. Yeah. Disney Dreamlight Valley is legit. Yep. Uh, all right, last up. One note to round out the labor report and the show. California's Civil Rights Department, which as you may recall was formerly the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, has asked to delay the Activision harassment and discrimination proceedings from February 2023 to February 2024. Note that there you remember there were key leadership departures from the CRD. Yeah, uh, and there they, was a big thing and there was allegations that Gavin Newsom as the governor of California was meddling yep. in this. So not great stuff there. And that may have very well disrupted preparations. No new date has been confirmed and likely will not be until March. And that wraps up our show at an hour and 15. Like we've, I told you, really. Like why even bother heavy. taking a break? Uh, because you and I needed, needed to take a little breath. It's for us. It's for us. And it's for you. I mean, we, we did only it for really, you and we for us. We only really gave you like a, like a couple. Of um, anyway. Yeah, I want to take one quick minute because our sign off uh, may be changing a little bit. Um, in the wake of Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter and the really bad stuff that's going on there, I have taken a large step back from Twitter. I'm still in. I'm in read only mode. You'll note that I haven't really tweeted in coming close to a week now. Oh man, he's getting the shakes. Actually, no. I'm not. Like, I'm in read-only mode, and I think that's the way I want to engage with Twitter for the most part. There will be things that we post. For instance, when we post this episode, I will share it on Twitter. Um, but as the place starts you know, rapidly entering a death spiral, I don't need to be there for the toxicity that is ramping up there. No. Um, so if you need me, um, you can DM me, and I will see that. That is the only push notification I have active on Twitter. Um, I will also see mentions, and if I if you... You know, if I want to respond to you, I'll DM you. Um, but Discord is, is a great place to find me. And you can DM me on Twitter if you if we're not friends on Discord. And I would be glad to add you there. That's absolutely something. And of course, our Discord server, uh, we have invites for. Yeah, well. absolutely. So, I mean, you can, in theory, follow us on Twitter at Virtual Econcast. And Virtual Econcast, we will still push out the episode through Twitter. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to change. And we push it out through LinkedIn as well. Uh, so, And that is not going to change either. 
No, but you will you will note that the frequency on there is definitely going to be shrinking. One of the better places to reach me is on Instagram because mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram oh, fairly me consistently. Too. Instagram, I do open. You know, and a I'm times uh, a day. I'm Ready Player Mama. And I think I'm Michael S. Footer on Instagram. Oh, he's so boring. I am really boring. And then uh, again, DM us for our Discord names as well. If you do want to follow us on Twitter, uh, you know, please go ahead and do it. Who knows what happens in the future? If you know. Obviously, we won't be verified anymore because neither of us are giving Elon Musk money to keep a verification check that's no longer about verification, so he can eat my butt. Um, but but I am, we will we will likely be going into protected mode. Yeah, I am at Footerish F U T T E R I S H, and I'm just at my name at Amanda Farrow. Um, one of the better places to like get the cast is going to be on all major podcasting platforms. You can go through the website. The website's front page is still bloody well broken. Because I've had zero time to work on it. But that's virtualeconcast.com. And you can add that to if you, if you're, if for instance you use or are going back to using an RSS feed, you can just add virtualeconcast.com. And it's there and you'll just get the podcast notifications when they come up. Yep. Um, but you can also find us on, like I said, all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon, Stitcher, Pocket Cast. There's one more. Pocket sand. Oh my God, pocket sand. Listen, if you had a good time listening to us today and you've been enjoying our analysis and the continued evolution of our show, we'd mm-hmm. love it if you would subscribe on your platform of choice Absolutely. and tell us what you think. Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy the show? You should tell us. If you have questions. We want to know your <gasps> questions. We love answering questions. listener questions. Uh, you can still DM us. Again, we are going, we do see DMs. Uh, but you can also send them to podcast at fsquared.biz or you can ask us questions via our discord server which we are delighted to invite you to especially as we minimize our presence on the bird hell site yeah 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 so yeah that that wraps up this episode in under an hour and a half despite all those earnings yeah shockingly we came in at 120 so remember to wash your hands stay hydrated and be good to one another we will see you very soon 